This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take a seat. I say... the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends. Welcome to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show about the original Star Trek series. This is a show where we dive into the characters, concepts, cliches, and other things that don't start with C about the original series. My name is Drew, or Landru. I'm the TOS editor for the network. With me today is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hey, how's it going? It's fantastic. Well, it's time for another anniversary episode of, of Standard Orbit. We're going to talk about yesterday... The day before this episode drops, it was the 30th anniversary of Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. So we figured we'd talk about it for a bit and and see how we like it 30 years on. Yeah, June 1st, 1984, which is pretty crazy because, I mean, you think about like just the week before this was the release of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So talk about a, a one-two punch in terms of wow. uh, classic movies. Good time to be a movie fan, that 1984, apparently. 1984, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Now, were you watching Star Trek back then? No, when I was, when I was uh, six months old, I was not watching Star Trek. Oh, you're just a little baby. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't watching Star Trek either, but I was totally into Star Wars at the age of four. My cousin really wanted to see this movie because she was a Trekkie, and my mom was like watching her and me, and she's like, okay, I will take you to see Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, and I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> and and my mom's like, oh, no, because you like Star Wars, so this is the same thing, because they both have star in the title, they both spaceships and everything like that, this will be great. And I'm like, okay, cool, let's do this. And we go to the theater, I still remember this, even though I was only four, I still remember this. We go to the theater, and we're watching it, and then that Klingon dog shows up on screen, and I'm like, <laughs> what the frack is that? Get me out of here right now. So my cousin stayed and watched the movie while my mom and I went shopping for the next two hours and then came back. So that was my first exposure, no, second exposure ever to Star Trek. But I have seen it since, all the wow. way through. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. I was worried that this is going to be a one-sided conversation. <laughs> I didn't watch much Star Trek Three growing up because my dad is a, a fierce believer in the odd number rule. Hmm. Okay, all right. So we never really owned... I think we did own Star Trek Three, but he never, like, willingly put it on. Mm-hmm. But I watched it a couple times, and I had the uh, read-along-with-this, like, audiobook, like the tape, or maybe I had it on the little 45, where it would read you the story, and then, you know, like, when you hear the transporter sound, you'll know it's time to turn the page. <laughs> and so I'd read along with it, so a lot of my memories of it are you know bad william shatner impressions me wondering why when when david is killed in the in the read along with this book 
he says, you Klingon dogs, you killed my son. And I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute, is bastards a bad word? I didn't know that at the time. Because <laughs> I was like, that's not what he says in the movie. But Star Trek Three, so I never really grew up with it. Um, I And when, because my dad had in, enforced this odd number rule on me, when I started collecting the DVDs, the two-disc special edition DVDs of the Star Trek movies, I only bought two, four, and six. Hmm. Two, four, six, eight, and ten. Like, I think I, I, I went all the way through it, but I started with two, four, and six. Uh, and then I started, I, I think I bought three, because I was like, well, you know, I kind of need Search for Spock in there. And then I bought five, and then I bought one, and then I bought, you know, Generations and Insurrection, because then I just that's, had to have all at that point. That's a very weird order. First off, the fact that you were like, Nemesis is okay. Uh, that That's because it's a 10. And then you were like, three, five, one. I think about three and five at the same time. <laughs> okay. This is a while right. ago. Okay. No, well, that's, that's not what it was. It wasn't the three and five. <laughs> it was the five and then one. That's the weird one right there. No, I had, and I had never seen one before I bought the director's cut. Seriously? No, I still have not seen the theatrical cut. Well, very few people have, despite thinking that. Well, no, well, I guess not with the the DVDs and the, but for the, the longest Blu-ray time, Blu-ray is the theatrical. Cut. Yeah, with the VHS, that was never the theatrical cut. That was the super special cut. longer edition. Yeah, yeah, but the the laserdisc was always the theatrical cut because uh, you could only do the extended cut in pan and scan because you could see like the edge of the set and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah, shots. But anyway, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So, so that's so weird. It's so weird that you hadn't seen, and that means you hadn't seen the motion picture until you were like in your twenties. No, I mean the motion picture, like the special edition thing, came out in what two thousand two. Oh yeah, I forgot that you're like five. So it was like, so I was like nineteen. Okay, you know, give me, give me a, okay. give me half of a half of a chance here. <laughs> it's still very, very strange, but yeah. Just that's how I was raised. My dad hasn't seen. I don't think he's seen motion pictures since it came out in theaters. Yeah. Like, and I told him. I told him the other day. He's like, I really need to show you the the director's cut. And he's like, No, it's a boring one. I don't want to watch it. He's like, But they they help out. It really works. Yeah. Even though it's slightly longer, it's a lot less boring. <laughs> it feels a lot faster. Yeah. But we're not talking uh, about Star Trek the motion picture. No. I guess. No. That's we're talking about Star Trek three. So so you had seen Star Trek 3, like that was something which was allowed, it was just frowned upon, right? Yes. It was owned, but it wasn't, it wasn't frequently watched. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like in the rotation of Star Trek 4 and, uh, you know, Star Wars. Right, right. It, it wasn't in that rotation of me watching the same movies over and over again. But I did see it a few times when I was a kid. You remember the first time? No. Okay. I, I, it is... For, especially for a kid, it is kind of hard because it's about science and, and you know, well, this thing didn't work because the hoobaloob. And then, <laughs> you know, we've got this scary Klingon and his scary dog. And then, you know, Kirk's son totally gets murdered. And then, you know, baby baby Spock and and Savick totally have sex. And I didn't catch on to that, but... Yeah, yeah. That's a weird thing to watch now. I'm like, oh, oh, that's what they're, oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I, the first time I saw it was uh, the 
I guess it would be like December 28th, 1992 or something like that. I think, I think. Um, and it was, you know, I, I've said this before, you know, watch the motion picture, was not happy with it. And then my friend convinced me to watch Star Trek 2, 3, and 4. And we did watch them all back to back in one day. Because of that, it's it's weird because I never really had the distance with it that I, I probably should have. I never had even a moment to consider Star Trek two on its own. I always saw it mm -hmm. as just this big, long thing. And also, for whatever reason, I had a lot of knowledge about this movie going into it. I knew that David died. I knew that Spock came back, obviously. And I almost knew every beat in the movie before I saw it. I knew that Genesis was going to fail. And because mm -hmm. of that, like a lot of the the criticisms which have been pointed out to me since then, which are completely valid, were things which I never even thought of because I just saw it as, well, this is what happens. And while I, I didn't um, think that it was as good as the even-numbered movies the first time through, I, I always did enjoy this one, and I, I still do, despite it, it being flawed. What, what are your thoughts on the movie? I... You know, it took me a while to get out of the, the, the whole odd number bad thing. I think it's my favorite odd numbered movie, hmm. mostly because it fits in between two and four, which are my favorites. I really like that they, uh, when they released all the Blu rays, they made a, I actually bought it, the Star Trek trilogy set that was just two, three, and four. Did you already have the six box set? I, I had all of the. I mean, at that point, I had all the DVDs, oh, you know, so the two-disc DVDs, but I wasn't going to upgrade all of them because I was like, I don't want to buy all 10 movies. Okay. This is before Amazon had them for like 20 bucks for all, you know, 100 of them. Okay. So so it wasn't that you had the, the six-movie set and then you were like, I need to get the three-movie set too because No, no, no. I was just upgrading. Okay. I upgraded two, three, and four to Blu-ray. Fair enough. Fair enough. So then I had them on my shelf all weird because I had the, the <laughs> DVD and then Blu-ray. And then just a handful more DVDs. That's how it is on my shelf right now because I've got the DVD of the motion picture director's cut and then the DVD of the Star Trek II director's cut. Then I got the box set with all six and then the DVD for Star Trek VI director's cut. Yeah, I kept one and six after I realized that I got rid of Star Trek II and now no longer have that extra cut. Oh, you don't? Oh, Right. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll need to pick that up. But yeah. I, I keep them in my closet. Uh, next to the Star Wars prequels. In in my closet where I keep my movies that I own and I know that I own, but I don't necessarily need to display. You don't need to display the director's cut of Star Trek VI? I don't have any room on my shelf. I'm sorry. Then you take off the Star Trek Three and the Star Trek V or whatever it is, and you stick that on instead. <laughs> Come on, man. I'd be able to fit them on there if I didn't have Star Trek The Next Generation. Well, there you go. <laughs> Rip off Star Trek The Next Generation. Star Trek Six is better than that. <laughs> yeah, the Scooby-Doo ending of Star Trek Six with the, the flashes up the faces of the, okay. of the characters. That was maybe not the best choice in the world. No. But, but you do I have Scotty saying, exactly. I bet that Klingon bitch killed her father. <laughs> didn't shed one bloody tear. <laughs> yeah, so... You got to take the good That's with the true. bad, I guess, I'm, right? I, I, yeah. All right. Again, Star Trek Three. <laughs> yeah, Star Trek Three. You can see how much we love this movie. <laughs> no, hey, it's good. 
I enjoy it. It's got a cantina scene. Mm-hmm. It's got a it's tribble. Kind, a tribble in the cantina. It's got a tribble. It's got a backward talking alien man. Mm-hmm. So it's very Star Warsy. At least that 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 scene. Yeah. Weird aliens at a bar and trying to get a ride somewhere. It's got the Sulu, like my favorite Sulu moment, where he's like, "Don't call me tiny." Well, my favorite Sulu mo- mo- moment is when he flips his coat up. Yeah, and he doesn't actually put too. his arms into the sleeves. Uh huh. That's pretty good too. Yeah. Well, the movie looking at it again, again, it's it's kind of uh, when they're stealing the Enterprise, it's almost like an Ocean's Eleven kind of thing. Yeah, that sequence so, is amazing. Like Kirk's Eleven, he's you know getting all the getting all the people together, and everything's falling into place, and everybody has their job to do. Uh, Uhura ties Mister Adventure in a closet. And... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> Giving the Vulcan salute. That's not very damn funny. It's 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 a good sequence, yeah. It, it's well, it's I think it's worth it for that sequence. Yeah, I mean that's the thing about it is like I'm looking at it now, like I can totally see the problems with it, and I can acknowledge yeah. that the problems with it are really really big. But if you just look at it on its own, it works as its own adventure. You know, I mean, when the the Enterprise blows up, I mean, that is like a heartbreaking moment. Yeah. You know, and and I, I think that uh, Christopher Lloyd is really good as as the Klingon captain. John Larroquette is good as his henchman. Yes, he is. He is. And uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much all all the way around. The the only time that it starts uh, to to lag for me is once they get to Vulcan and they do the whole lap dissolve mm-hmm. Vulcan ritual thingy, and I'm just like, okay, time to end, guys. My my least favorite parts, I think, are the uh, the scenes with the guy who played David and Robin Curtis having a bad acting off. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that's fine, and I never really had a problem with them. But, I don't know. Something about Robin Curtis's Savick is just not, just doesn't settle in right. I mean, you know, it's Captain David is dead. I mean, really, she, there's a difference she's... between being, you know, not showing emotion and being a robot. Yeah, it, it, the 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 one that always gets me is actually in Star Trek Four. Here we go talking about something <laughs> other than Star Trek Three again, where she's like, "Good day, Captain Kirk or Admiral Kirk. May your journey be free of incident." And the way she's saying <laughs> it, like I always thought, like, is she mad at him? What did he do? <laughs> you know, but she's you're not the mad. one who got his son killed. <laughs> she should be mad at you. Yeah, you know, but. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, that's fine. I, I have I have very fond memories of, of watching this and, and, and I and I do enjoy those sort of elements, those things like you're saying, like the Ocean's Eleven type of, of uh story and uh the whole sort of strategy thing with you know, Kirk getting the Klingons onto the ship and then blowing up the ship. Yeah. And 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 I, and I love, you know, Kirk saying, I have had Enough of you, and and all, and all that stuff is great, and the stuff with the Excelsior is great too, you know. I uh, I had that moment the other day. Caesar was carrying around his uh, Caesar, my new dog, was carrying around his Klingon stuffed animal, stuffed Klingon, and uh, he jumped up on the bed, and with the with the Klingon, the Klingon slit started sliding off, and he grabbed him by the arm. 
So like Caesar's like dangling him off the edge, and for a split second, I just wished that he had just kicked him off. I thought you were going to say Caesar was bothering you, and you kicked him off the bed and said, "I <laughs> have had enough of you." And he's like, "This is no. too. That's too long of a phrase." <laughs> it is. A you small need to get him dog like off your bed. Multiple kicks, you know. If I were to do that with my cat, like the first kick, he would jump over to me and just claw my claw eyes your face. out. Yeah. And That'd be the end of that. So I have had enough of ah <laughs> my face. <laughs> enough about kicking dogs. Um. <laughs> but uh, there, there is that thing, you know, which I know that we we we've talked about elsewhere and everything like that. And it was a thing which uh, Max, my my co-host on the other shows that I do, uh, pointed out to me. There's a lot of stuff in this movie which is very weird and wrong and in a lot of ways anti-Star Trek. And I can't deny that. Like, he thinks this is the worst Star Trek movie ever by far because of this stuff. And it's the type of thing where I never thought about it because, uh, like I said, I had seen them all back to back. And it was just sort of like, well, that's the way it is. But when you look at it closely... And when you have the distance of just being able to let Star Trek II sit by itself, you realize that they really kind of Alien 3'd the franchise with Star Trek Three. <laughs> you know? They Ripley'd it. Or, uh, or they, they neutered it. I'm sorry. They neutered, they neutered the franchise with, <laughs> with this movie. To start, I mean, the obvious one, you know, is that they brought back Spock. Mm-hmm. So all of that that great stuff that they did in Star Trek Two, I mean, sort of their 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 legs were just cut out from under them with that. How do you feel about Spock being brought back for Star Trek Three? Yeah, that's that's a good point. I'd not really considered until I'd listened to your guys' commentary on Star Trek Three. I hadn't considered these these flaws, uh, Max's big problems with these move this movie, and. Yeah, it it does kind of undo the sacrifice. Like, I understand from, like, a franchise point of view, you don't want to kill your second slash first most popular character. But his death was effective. I mean, it made a point. It was about the needs of the mini and stuff. And to be fair, in Star Trek Three, they do turn that on its head. Like, well, sometimes the needs of the few outdo the needs of the many. And... I appreciate that, that they did try to keep the moral of Star Trek II while having a new moral for Star Trek III. But it does it does kind of hurt Star Trek II by just being like, well, now we need a movie to bring him back. It's like, but, but, uh. Yeah. And also, I mean, you can take that message, like the needs of the, the few outweigh the needs of the many, and sort of apply that to the franchise and be like, look, we can destroy everything that we built just to get this one guy back in the movie because he is sort of our the face of the franchise, you know? Yeah. And that's that's like, well, that's not a very good message to have. How about we focus on telling good stories and say, like, you know what? Sometimes you do need to sacrifice Leonard Nimoy's character in order to do that. And, I mean, that's kind of like, you know, that and that, that is a problem which I know a lot of people had, myself included, with, like, Into Darkness, and how they, spoilers, you know, flipped it and killed Kirk and then brought him right back. And, of course, the thing is like, well, of course they're going to bring him back. You know that they're going to bring him back because they. Yeah. the whole point of this is to have, you know. But 
there is a part of me that just kind of wishes that there's a big part of me, which like if they would if they would have killed Kirk in that last scene and kept him dead and not brought him back in the new Star yeah. Trek three, <laughs> I would have been like, wow, that is bold. You know, bravo, guys. Yeah, but that would be intense. That would be amazing. They, they'd never do it, though, you know. But can you imagine if they did? And, you know, I, I wish that was the case. And, and it is kind of like a, a weird thing where the stuff that has come after is so great, and a lot of it is because of Spock being there. Mm -hmm. But I really wish they wouldn't have done that. I don't know. Yeah. But that's not the only thing. You know, I mean, that's the obvious one, but that's not the only thing which they kind of destroy that was in Star Trek Two, in Star Trek Three. The other thing which I had never thought of because I had never thought of it like this is the Genesis device. Mm -hmm. And the idea that there's no indication in Star Trek Two that Genesis is a failure. Genesis is a success. They created new life. They created this planet. And then they undo that in Star Trek Three. You know, and as Max has pointed out, Max is the one who pointed this out to me, like... Not only that, but it's also saying like the only way that we can achieve this this progress is through cheating, you know, and and mm -hmm. it, it it won't last, you know. You know, scientific progress is not possible on this scale, and it's like, well, that's kind of exactly the opposite of what Star Trek has always been about. It's always been about furthering humanity. And, and taking us to the next level and exploring and, 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 and expanding beyond what it is that we are now. And here this thing is saying, like, no, even you can't go that far. And for what? You know, why? Mm -hmm. I mean, is it just a plot device? I don't understand it. I think it is a plot device just to get things moving. Again, like you said, it, it kind of hurts Star Trek too. But to me, I always, I don't know if I had the impression... You know, that it wasn't necessarily the protomatter's fault. But, I mean, there's a lot of variables here beyond the scope of the original Genesis plan. Because, you know, Genesis is supposed to be fired at a dead planet. It exploded in a nebula. That's true. That's and weird. formed a planet from a nebula. Which, sure, is matter and stuff, but that goes beyond its, you know, regular standard procedure. And maybe that has more to do with the Genesis planet falling apart than... David cheating. And I'm sure that maybe using protomatter, that's just David's first thought, and he feel, felt guilty about it to begin with. Maybe that's maybe that's how it should be looked at. Maybe, but that's a, an in-universe justification. But the fact of the matter is that Harv Bennett and the other you know people working on this movie decided to put that in. Mm -hmm. And they could have just as easily been like, why is it falling apart? Oh, like you're saying, you know, it's it's made out of stuff from a, a, a nebula. That's weird. That's not what it was designed to do. The whole thing was, you know, depositing it on a, a lifeless rock in space or whatever they say, you know. And there's a reason why they put the protomatter in this. Mm -hmm. And they didn't need to, but they, they did it. And they probably shouldn't have. Yeah. So no, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, but they you, had to have it fall apart too, so that you know, because yeah. if it did work, then it would be you know this ultimate weapon that you'd always be wondering why doesn't you know why doesn't they do they talk about it in the next generation or anything? But is it an ultimate weapon? And also, next generation hadn't been around at that point. It could be used as an ultimate weapon, and that's what they're saying. They're saying like, oh, you know, this is too dangerous for for humanity to have. But it's like, 
there's a lot of things which you could, I mean, a ship going at warp drive, that could be an ultimate weapon in a sense, you know, I mean, that can kill lots of people, cars kill mm -hmm. people. And it's like, it's also, it, that's not what the thing's about, you know, and the Federation, if they're that enlightened, then they're not going to use it for that. I'm sure they have the technology to destroy a planet and uh, they don't use it. And that's not what they would use this for either. So I don't think that you need to get rid of this. I don't think that this is a, a case of something being too big for uh, the franchise, you know, too big to tell uh, another story with this thing in your back pocket, you know, which has been the case with some other things, you know. I think the J.J. movies have sort of gotten into that with their trans-warp beaming thingy, you know. Mm -hmm. At what point do you just say, all right, let's screw the starships then <laughs> and just beam yeah. the planets, you know. I mean, that, there are certainly problems like that. I don't think that this is one of them. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, you, well, could, you could make stories about, if anything, you can make stories about, like, Yes, we do have the, the the ability to destroy the Klingon race, but you know what? We're not going to use it because we're not a bunch of jerks. That's kind of the whole point of Star Trek, right? right. You know, we we don't go to war with people. We don't do these things because uh, we're more about uh, creating life than destroying it. But yeah, th those things they do bother me. But I can still watch this movie. It's it's not that I don't like this movie, and even if even if a movie wanted to 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 make this and make these points, I might be like, "Hey, um, that's stupid." But you know, if, if you're if you're trying to make a point and you're trying to make a even a stupid point and you're doing it well, then I can appreciate you know the craftsmanship and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And um, the the only thing that I I really don't like about it is what it does to Star Trek Two. It kind of puts a little ding in in Star Trek 2 and that's kind of disappointing in in much the same way that Alien 3 does with Aliens. Yeah, but to me kind of like well with Aliens I go to the extreme and I, you know, I don't own Alien 3 yeah. or Alien Resurrection. I'm just like, look, this is my canon is Aliens and a Alien and Aliens. And nope. That's all I need. No Prometheus? Pr Prometheus, I almost took a picture of it. I was at the video store yesterday. I almost tweeted it was on, they have copies, uh, you know, used copies for like $3. And I was like, not even then. Prometheus is the worst. Wait, I have a question. Yes. What's a video store? Yes. It, see, we have this place that has movies and you're allowed to, you give them some money and you can take it home for a short period of time and then you can take it back. Oh, so kind of like Redbox? Yes. There's, we have those too. Oh. Across the street, oddly enough. Interesting. I'll have to look into what these uh, video stores are, see if they have them up in Chicago, because I don't think that they do. It's weird. <laughs> oh, you and that joke. <laughs> <laughs> Where were we? So, uh, Prometheus. So, Star Trek. I can Star see. Trek. I can see the Star Trek movies individually. I don't know what it is like the Star Wars movies. I see them all as one blob, and and only recently am I able to take them apart and see them as individual movies. I can now watch the original movie and see it just as a standalone movie. And I'm getting that way with Empire. And Jedi kind of can't really stand on its own. Yes, it but, can. No, it can't. <laughs> but the the Star Trek movies, I, I guess because I always saw them, you know, two, four, six, I've been able to see them as individual movies. And I think that even knowing what happens in three, it really doesn't hurt. It definitely doesn't hurt my enjoyment of two. 
I mean, do you not enjoy two because you know that Spock's just going to come back and the Genesis project doesn't work? No, I still totally enjoy two. And, you know, I, I do, I can separate them for sure, but I, I can't lie that, you know, whenever I'm watching it, I, I do also think about what's going to happen in Star Trek three. And it kind of does bum me out a little bit, but I still do like Star Trek three quite a bit. I mean, I can definitely put it on and watch it and enjoy it. And, uh, it's great, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Star Trek three is not the only thing that we're talking about on Trek FM. So, uh, why don't you take a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Arena Commentary. They're like, everything is fine. It's, there's nothing. Just come down. We have fried chicken. <laughs> it's good. Earl Grey. Picard's Romances. You say it's not great, Philip, but what I think you mean is it's probably one of the most forgettable episodes of the <laughs> entire series. The Ready Room. The Romulan War. That was, what, the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth episode of the original series. Lawrence Schneider, he invents the Romulans. That was the whole the whole genesis of it. And if they'd known that the Romulans might have been a recurring alien, they might not have given them those, you know, quote-unquote, expensive helmets. The Orb. Moogie. We find out, and Quark finds out, as we're talking about how he reacts and sort of comes to terms with what his mother's doing. She's the woman behind the curtain. She's the person who is calling the shots at the highest level of Ferengi society. To the journey! Ultimate Season 5 Marathon. You could argue brother and sister, but maybe more like your favorite uncle, who you once had a sex dream about. I don't know. <laughs> So that explains persistence of vision. Yeah. <laughs> Warp 5. Archer's Lost Loves. Not Dodge so much, it's just he's unsure of himself in that in that regard. He can be a starship captain, but a guy in love, mm, I don't know about that. Commentary, Trek Stars. The TNG Companion. He secretly doesn't know every time he replies to me on Twitter, I let out a let out little fan squeal on the other end. I play it cool, though. Play cool, guys. Um, no, I'm, I'm the same exact way, but I don't play it cool. By little fan squeal, you mean that sound Chekhov made in the last picture. <laughs> continuing mission. The continuing mission audio drama. Our writer, David Raines, is a huge Lovecraft fan. And all of these Lovecraftian creatures are from outer space. And... You know, the Star Trek characters, they're always running into, you know, these godlike beings, but, you know, they're benevolent, well, they're not benevolent, but, you know, they speak English, and, you know, they look like William Campbell. And Literary Treks. Serpents Among the Ruins. We'll always help Paris. <laughs> wow, you just destroyed one of my favorite lines from my favorite movie ever. Huh. We'll always have Iron Mike <laughs> Paris. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out those shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. you find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. If you want to contact us and share your thoughts on Star Trek 3 or 2 or 4 or 10 or 12 or anything, uh, you can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send a show and choose Standard Orbit. 
That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone. Or you can talk to us and other listeners on our forums at trek.fm forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Mike, where can people find you out of orbit? Well, you can find me on Trek FM, where I do commentary Trek Stars with Max, and you can also find me on commentarytrackstars.com, where I do commentary Trek Stars off-topic with uh, Max and uh, our friend Brandon. We've even got our Star Trek uh, 3 commentary up on there, if you want to take a look at that. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And you can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E, and you can find me on various other places around the network. Before we go, I'd like to ask everyone to please support the sponsor of the network, who helps us bring Standard Orbit to you each week, and that sponsor is Audible.com. Audible's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read, but never thought you'd have time for. Audible's the premier source for audiobooks, with more than 150,000 titles to choose from, and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Mike, what do you have for everybody? Well, I've got a Star Trek book. It was uh, book number 69 of the Pocket Books series from the original series. It's called Sarek. And they've actually got two versions on here, the abridged and the unabridged. So you better get the unabridged, right? Well, yeah. It's pretty long. It's 14 hours and 39 minutes. It's written by A.C. Crispin. It's narrated by Nick Sullivan. And uh, the description, Spock's mother, Amanda Grayson, is dying, and Spock returns to the planet Vulcan, where he and Sarek enjoy a rare moment of reproachment. Uh, But just as his wife's illness grows worse, duty calls Sarek away, once again sowing the seeds of conflict between father and son. Yet soon, Sarek and Spock must put aside their differences and work together to foil a far-reaching plot to destroy the Federation, a plot that Sarek has seen in the making for nearly his entire career. And you can get this for free on audible.com since you listen to us. That's right. As a Standard Orbit and Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read, or that latest novel from your favorite author. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on just a second here. I just saw the second paragraph, which is in, like, the publisher summary. Yeah. This story goes to some weird places. Here. Continue. The, the crew of the USS Enterprise journeys to the heart of the Klingon Empire, where Captain Kirk's last surviving relative has become a pawn in a battle to divide and conquer the Federation. With Sarek's help, the crew of the Starship Enterprise learns that all is not as it seems, but before they can prevent the Federation's destruction, they must see the face of their hidden enemy, an enemy more insidious and more dangerous than any they have faced before. That's crazy. Anyway, insidious? Maybe. Maybe. Ooh. Mm. Crossover. Anyway. So what were we saying? Well, I was going to say that they, if they want, I was going to say if they. You were going to say that if they wanted to uh, support us directly, they could buy some aliens. That's right. Well, illustrations of aliens. If you go to trek.fm slash donate, you'll find eight alien 
uh, illustrations by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork you see on the website. They're available as both badges and art prints, and there are different contribution levels for you to choose from. Just let us know which you would like in which format. Again, you'll find them at trek.fm slash donate, and your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. You could get a Klingon, and then when it gets in the mail, you can hang it up on your wall, and then you could order a Vulcan. And when the Vulcan comes, you can take the Klingon down and say, I have had enough of you, and fling it across the room, and then put the Vulcan up where that was. I like it. Yeah. Well, everybody... Thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landrew. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit. Ahead, walk factor one. Hi, sir.